I'm George Kamidi, and you're listening to First Watch. The headlines around cybersecurity today tend toward big breaches and attacks, but what about smaller companies? There are tens of thousands of small to medium-sized businesses that are either facing cyber attacks or have just woken up to the need for better security. These businesses tend not to have CISOs in place, and their IT teams have largely been focused on building out traditional network infrastructure. So where do they start? Today's guest is Carlota Sage, a virtual CISO and principal with Fractional CISO, who brings deep experience in helping companies build up their cybersecurity programs. Carlota Sage, welcome to First Watch. Thank you so much. Yes, we are excited to have you back in the Safeguard Cyber Environs. Uh, we first talked a little bit at Black Hat at our Vision and Voice uh, Executive Breakfast, but really happy to have you here to talk about your work with Fractional CISO and, and the work that you do um, as, a, as a virtual CISO. So, I appreciate um, it. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we just start there? Uh, the company you work for and work with is Fractional CISO. Why don't you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about the mission, um, sure. who you work with and, and how, and we'll start to dig in, dig in there. Fantastic. I, I appreciate the chance. Uh, I work with Fractional CISO, which was founded by Rob Black, I'd say about four years ago. And it is what it sounds like. If your organization is big enough to need security strategy, but not big enough to hire a full-time CISO and build out a security team, you will come to an organization like ours and hire a fraction of a CISO's time. So at any given moment, uh, the VCSOs, there are three, myself, Rob Black, the founder, and RJ Russell. Um, at any given time, we're supporting anywhere between three and 10-ish, uh, maybe eight, um, mid-sized growing companies, usually SaaS platforms. We do have a couple of e-commerce sites, but really the mission is to make sure that we help these organizations create a solid foundation, a solid cybersecurity program, and help them grow until they're ready to hire their, their first CISO. And then we'll actually help them write the job description and we'll interview their, their top candidates. Nice. Um, does that mean that they are also, as you think about helping them build and mature an organization mm -hmm. internally, mm -hmm. do they have, for example, SOC analysts, or are they also outsourcing that work? they are not even to that point right? right so a lot of the times and i i'll pause there um a lot of those those clients are either they have a solid maybe it team maybe they only have mm -hmm. one or two people in their it team maybe they're even outsourcing uh, and have an mssp but they have either come under regulatory pressure or pressure from their industry or clients to usually go for like a SOC 2 compliance report mm -hmm. so they hit, hit a certain level of success in their space and the bigger customers take notice but those bigger customers want security uh, and want those assurances that this organization is behaving in a secure way. So what happens is that we get we get them when they're just starting their security journey. Um, sometimes we do get people who are more uh, security savvy. Uh, we do have, for example, a privacy prospect. We have a, a client who is a security startup, but they come to us knowing that we're really good at the security and the tech. We're really bad at program management. And what we need is somebody who will do that documentation mm -hmm. and kind of guide us through the compliance piece and help us really with those internal audits and that sort of thing. So from that perspective, we have, you know, either very non-security minded 
clients or who are under pressure, or we have security minded clients who just understand that they need more strategy around what they're doing. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up that pressure is coming from their customers. Mm -hmm. We've seen that increasingly. Mm -hmm. It's like a demand for governance, but mm -hmm. not yeah. necessarily internally. There's like a recognition, like we should do something, mm -hmm. but it's the customer mm -hmm. pressure that really, that really is the compelling event. It really is. It's either, like I said, the government regulations, or in our case, it's mostly with those SaaS platforms. It's mostly that customer uh, pressure. Um, just as like an armchair analysis, do you think mm -hmm. that that's really stemming kind of from a solar wind supply chain risk? You know, people are, they recognize that they're bringing in these software programs or these platforms mm -hmm. and they're becoming very integral to their processes. Mm -hmm. And then they're mm -hmm. like, uh, this, you know, <laughs> this organization has <laughs> access to a lot of data and or a lot right. of data is transiting through their Right, network. right. I, I think that's, it's twofold. I think the larger the, the clients that are serving those larger organizations, we have clients that are serving even Fortune 100 organizations, uh, they've always been under that pressure in some way or their type of, of that client has always put their, their smaller um, providers under that level of pressure. Uh, maybe a little bit more since SolarWinds, but I think what we're seeing more since SolarWinds is that uh, those mid-sized companies that serve other small and mid-sized companies, um, they're getting more pressure from the smaller companies as well to also be compliant oh, and yeah, security aware. So it seems to be kind of a, it's, there's, there's an overall higher awareness, not just of supply chain, but just of security. And now people know to ask those questions. Oh, that's great. We get it from both sides. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned kind of the impetus for mm -hmm. their work with Fractional CISO, which mm -hmm. um, we just talked about, but mm -hmm. could you talk about some of the most common issues that you see when you go into these organizations? You talked about program uh, management, but yes. keen to understand like at an organizational level where, sure. where the common hiccups are. Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to plug a, a business-minded security maturity model that I put out last year when I, at the beginning of my VCSA career, uh, I found that talking about security maturity using security models didn't resonate with the business. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up creating one for the business that looks at security maturity through business lenses. And what I've found is that those organizations that are coming to us looking for that security um, program and they're looking for that SOC compliance, um, usually what they're just missing is that overall, that big picture view and having that kind of model to discuss that with them helps a lot. <laughs> um, it just makes a lot of those conversations simpler. So just getting leadership educated on the big picture is mm -hmm. really the, the almost the first step, even in our prospect calls. We're, we're doing a lot of education. We're not even selling necessarily. If you're coming to us and you're not kind of our ideal model client, because we only have so much capacity as consultants, right? right? I still want to educate you on what you should be asking, right? So that you get a good fit from the, the VC so firm that you do hire, or that if you don't hire that and you end up like building out your program, you at least have some big picture ideas. So let's rewind. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> let's go back. What was the what was the question? I want to make sure I'm answering the question that you asked though. Yeah, so just keen to understand mm -hmm. some of the common issues that you're mm -hmm. seeing. You had mentioned program right. management, but if there's right. something in there that you could point to. Yeah, I mean really I think the biggest win that we can get not just that 
that organizational or or big picture view, educating the the, the leadership on that, but just security awareness training. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of organizations that come to us and don't they do the yearly or maybe they just do a, a little topic of security when they onboard people. They don't even maybe do the yearly um, security awareness. That is a quick quick win because if you can get in there and you know for a few thousand dollars, get them to, even before you go through the gap analysis. So we start off with a gap analysis. We say, you are here, we need you to be here, right? Even in before you get all the way through that gap analysis, if you can get them thinking about purchasing a security awareness training um, program and go ahead and start rolling that out, you know, let's even say when it comes to malware, I think something like 80% of ransomware would be stopped cold, right? If if every person in that organization um, used multi-factor authentication and a password manager, right? That's those are such simple concepts, and that that security awareness training can make an immediate big impact. And we pretty much roll that out at every client that I've seen. Yeah, not to uh, kick solar winds mm-hmm. again, but you know, in front of Congress <laughs> to say that the password was mismanaged by an intern is uh, right. Boy, that's, that's embarrassing. That's that yeah, that tells me that your security program really wasn't living up to it you you didn't have the basics done so we focus on the basics right yeah um, absolutely. I, and that's that's just it let's turn mfa on everywhere that we can let's get that password management going let's tighten up those email security controls you know but we have a very methodical approach um rob developed what he calls basic which takes the nist concepts and mm-hmm. and boils them down to the simplest quickest how do what do we need to focus on for a company that's never done security um and that's part of our process of moving i like to say moving a company from from zero to one um, and then we can get them onto the security maturity track um yeah great the actual that's a really good segue so i was interested in kind of what is the standard approach to Mm -hmm. improving the security posture it sounds Mm -hmm. like you know, you come in, you assume zero, there's a gap mm-hmm. analysis. Can you walk us through a few more steps? Because sure, then you also mentioned, sure. um, you know, getting internal stakeholders mm-hmm. to articulate security as it relates to mm-hmm. business. If you could walk mm-hmm. us through that. Yeah, that's, that's um, a good point. We do that gap analysis and we break our recommendations down into to two big buckets, the program management, right, bucket and the technical bucket. And that program management is often, you know, just policy development, um, mm-hmm. documenting things, documenting processes, tightening processes up, you know, and that technical component is, like I said, doing the review of your email uh, configurations of your AWS configurations, some of those really basic, are we just looking at turning on multi-factor authentication, all of those pretty basic things. But as we go through that gap analysis, we can we can really call them out and prioritize them. With that, we also do that security maturity model and we introduce the whole team to that. Um, there's the organizational model, which is the high level view. And then there's an operational model where we take that high level view and much like the CMMC, we make five levels, right? And mm-hmm. say, you know, right now you're at level one or two, by the end of this year, we wanna get you to a three. And for us, a three means that everything's documented, repeatable, it would map to repeatable, right? On the NIST, mm-hmm. I think tier three. Um, but but NIST tier three doesn't mean anything to right. a business person. But if you can give them that one single chart and say, okay, I just need you to get to a three. 
I'd like to get you over our time, our relationship together over the next two to three years will get you to a four. I don't think for our maturity model, you don't need to be a five unless you are a security vendor or you are a major vendor, mm -hmm. right, to another organization. So when you have that, that maturity model that says, hey, we're here now, I just need to move you to a three and here's how we're going to do it. Um, that gives you both kind of a, a centering piece where people are like, okay, I understand what I need to do. But it also means that when I come in day one and I give you a maturity model that has a bunch of ones on it, and then six months later, I give you a maturity model that has a bunch of twos and threes on it, you can actually see the progress we've made in developing your security program, right? So that's a, it gets a little bit of, you know, it gets a little bit of both that ideology and that awareness and that that concept that security and, and this is the biggest thing um before if i didn't have this security maturity model to point to clients would be like oh great we do all this and then we're done we're secure mm -hmm. and it's that's not how security works you know it's not a climb to the top of the mountain it's a steer the boat right around right. around the rocks I, you are always doing it <laughs> yeah I, I like i like that uh analogy a lot mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so you point out something interesting and I'm sort of reading between the lines. Mm -hmm. You've been brought in because there is a business need, either mm -hmm. you know, customer is, is putting pressure on or there's regulatory right. pressure. Right. And you have also mentioned, you know, how do you translate security to business leaders, which we've also mm -hmm. talked about a lot on this podcast. So mm -hmm. what that's telling me is the people bringing you in mm -hmm. are not necessarily, they are also having to, you know, make a case to mm -hmm. senior leadership, look, we need, mm -hmm. I want budget to hire mm -hmm. fractional CISO to help do mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z, which right. means you're kind of working across internal stakeholders. So, right. And, right. and you mentioned something just now, interestingly, mm -hmm. about being able to track those metrics ev ev mm -hmm. evolve from, you know, a one to a two mm -hmm. or a three, so you can see that mm -hmm. progress. So, so something that we've just recently been discussing is, is how are you showing those leadership teams, which have mm -hmm. obviously greenlit the budget, but may remain mm -hmm. skeptical about that level of an investment that cybersecurity mm -hmm. is worth it. You know, we've, mm -hmm. we've had some guests on here who talk about like, it's difficult to, to use ROI as a, as mm -hmm. a metric, maybe there's it a is. different kind of measure we need to use. Right. Right. So I just want to dig into that. Maybe the boat versus the mountain. Sure. <laughs> yeah. No. A little bit. That's a good point. I, I think we're lucky in that our clients, and, and this is something Rob is a very big proponent of, is that leadership needs to be very involved in the process. So mm -hmm. has we're has prospects are screening us, we're also screening them. And if we don't feel like their leadership is invested, we know they're gonna fail. There's or at mm -hmm. least we don't know, but there's a really high likelihood. We've found that if leadership is highly invested, we're much more successful in moving that organization's needle. Um, so when when a CTO or, or a C-suite comes to us, it's a very different discussion because they already have an idea that they can get that budget. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we get, once we get that relationship established that, that climbing the peak versus versus um, steering the boat, right? Uh, I think it's a, a really easy when you go through that gap analysis and it and that's it and I warn folks, I warn the leadership team um, that this is a painful process. It's a very uncomfortable process for a company to look at to for somebody to look at a company's processes and say, okay, you've got some major security gaps. This yeah, is no not one, a good no feeling for to, anyone, yeah. right? Right. This is not a good feeling for anyone. So there's a, a little bit of handholding, a little bit of kind of 
emotional support that goes into that, but there's also a lot of, um, you have to use a lot of analogies that make them more comfortable with that. You, you tell them it's an uncomfortable process to go through, mm-hmm. and then you give them some analogies like, hey, you know, when we start going through this, we're going to, it's like a magician, right? We're going to pull a, on a handkerchief and we're just going to find other things to pull. And you're going to feel really uncomfortable about that. But, you know, it's part of the process. It's part of what we need to do to understand where you are and to help you get more secure. So we don't make them secure. We help them, right? We accelerate them and making sure you, you're constantly framing it and that you own this. I am here to guide you, I think also helps keep that client heavily involved and invested in what's going on. So it's a lot of communication. It's a lot more communication than a lot of hands-on security professionals are probably comfortable with. Yeah, that uh, seems like that demands a lot of EQ as well as obviously you have technical prowess, you have auditors Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but that's a lot of diplomacy. It is. It's a lot of facilitating difficult conversations. It's a lot of um, knowing when to be very blunt (laughs) and when you need to be a lot softer about delivering whatever news you have to deliver. Um, It's reading a lot of body language, even over Zoom, right? So it is, it's a lot of emotional intelligence and it's a lot of assuming the role of a guidance counselor almost Mm -hmm. um, more than even um, a security expert, right, or a security professional. It's a lot of both, but it's really heavy on that guidance piece. Back with Carlota Sage in a moment. If you like this episode of First Watch and want to hear others, hit subscribe. You can catch up on past episodes, like our interview with Amy Worley about helping companies manage data and privacy frameworks. And you'll get new ones straight to your feed. Now, let's get back into it with Carlota Sage. I want to pull back a little bit. Sure. We talked about the, the work that you're doing kind mm-hmm. of in the trenches, but mm-hmm. you mentioned you're working with these organizations. Sometimes mm-hmm. they have an IT department. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, IT director is like half security, half you know, mm-hmm. networks, this admin. Mm-hmm. So what are, at, at a larger level, we stand back, what are some of the trends that you're seeing with mm-hmm. the size of companies that you're working with mm-hmm. that sort of mm-hmm. like I guess my question is about, you know, you talk to a JP Morgan, they think about mm-hmm. security day in, day out all the time. Mm-hmm. Is it a shift in mindset? Is it like the way you build a company, you tend to build mm-hmm. this first and then security is the afterthought? Like what are some of the trends that you see at that level yeah, of enterprise? That's a great question. Um, and I don't have the full, I haven't looked at at fractional CISO's full history. I would say just in what I've seen, you know, the organizations that are coming to us are in that 50 person range even. Um, And we can, if they're coming in at 50, we know that they're already thinking about security. And that's actually pretty, it's a really good size to engage a a VCSO service. Um, Because a a lot of them that are coming to us are, um, right now we've kind of got a surge on e-commerce platforms uh, that are coming to us. And we see these little trends, like different industries will will kind of cluster. 
over the years, every couple of years, you'll get a kind of a different industry. But when you get that 50 person company, or when we get that 50 person company, you know, one of the questions I ask is, you know, are you looking to grow? It sounds like you're looking to grow but to 150, 200 within the next mm -hmm. year. So they're usually going through kind of a hyper growth mode and they're trying to get ahead of it. They know they've kind of been skirting by this security thing. <laughs> and um, they know that that that's coming and they they're trying to get ahead of it. So for our clientele, it's often and of course, we're biased, right, because we have an ideal kind of model mm -hmm. client in our heads. So we tend to take them on as clients. So our model is biased and, and the information that we have is biased towards the kinds of clients that we're going to take. But they are in that 50 person range, 50 to 80 people, they're looking to be 150 to 250 in the next year, they're looking to grow very rapidly, and they know they've got to get ahead of security right now. So they're very savvy in that regard. They just don't always know what it means um right if you're starting from yeah. zero that it's like I yeah don't, i don't know what i don't know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly and so it's it's that sort of thing where you just have you i know i have to do this i know i have to eat the healthy mm -hmm. vegetables but i don't i don't know where the grocery store is I, mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's that level of i know i have to do this but i just don't know what to do that's interesting. I'm gonna mm -hmm. my armchair hypothesis for mm -hmm. e-commerce e is maybe just one, uh, you know, this confederation of state-based privacy laws, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. but also um, a lot of data breaches turn customers off. So. Right, right. Well, and not only that, you, I, I imagine that there are industry publications where you know some company in their industry has worked with a VC sub principal, for example, um, and maybe they do a white paper or an article in their industry magazine about it, or they give a talk at an industry conference mm -hmm. that we don't have insight to since that's or that's not where we are. Um, I have seen prospects looking because their cyber insurance got canceled. Um, uh -huh. And their cyber insurance company is like, yeah, you guys, you guys have got to get if you're not if you're not big enough to hire a CISO, look at a VCSO service. So I've actually had several prospects say that. I've had prospects And it's gotten say, canceled because they don't have enough controls in place. Exactly. They're too because, high risk. Okay. Mm -hmm, they're too high. The, the cyber insurance companies decided they're too high risk. So, you know, and cyber insurance companies are using some of those same risk tools that, yep. you know, Black Kite and um, Security Scorecard and that sort of thing, Risk Recon. You know, those cyber insurance companies are, are using that and, and they're assessing the risk of their uh of the people that they insure and they are canceling them yeah well uh, and, and, the, and the them, risk across them. yeah and the mm -hmm. risk across the board has gotten mm -hmm. so high that you know they just won't even pay ransomware right uh, right stuff anymore. and yeah and the the regulations around if you know if you pay ransomware this is now an illegal activity you know that there's a lot of fear uncertainty and doubt there's a lot of fud that's getting generated just you know we, the security vendors don't even have to drum it up right <laughs> right yeah. there's a lot of that just naturally in in the states in the united states and countries you know trying to figure out how they regulate cyber security activities and you know just anything in general like that yeah and, and also now strikes me the new um level of priority given to disclosure but mm -hmm. if, if you don't have any controls in place and, you know, I think it's the, it, on average, it takes like 50 mm -hmm. days to detect a breach, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, the fine could go up because mm -hmm. you just didn't have anything in place to know that mm -hmm. somebody was in your networks um, siphoning exactly. customer Ex data out. Exactly. And, you know, the, they're 
customers are getting, uh, our clients and, and their peers are getting very antsy about that because they mm -hmm. don't know what any of that means. And they are looking to, you know, VCSO firms, they're looking to uh, lawyers or law groups that are very familiar with security and privacy, and they're looking for that advice. They're actively seeking it out. They don't know what it's going to cost them or if they can afford it sometimes, but they're at least doing the research and asking the questions. That's good. Well, I want to, I want to, we're sort of talking in broad strokes, want to shift more to mm -hmm. tactical broad strokes, which sure. is um, in our conversations before this mm -hmm. recording, we were talking about automation, right? We talked right, about a lot right. of security automation at the big mm -hmm. enterprise level, just, you know, reduce the alert fatigue, increase mm -hmm. efficacy. Mm -hmm. So um, curious to understand with smaller organizations that may be even further resource constrained, right? How, how does that work? Or how are you working with um, automation tools? I, I see that being much more uh, clever and a lot of people are being very, um, uh, what was the, the NASA, was it the Apollo 13, not the one that blew oh, up, yeah. but where they, right? Where you know, the, the engineers literally dump a box of components out and try to figure out how to, to make a solution you know, on earth that they can then right. share with the guys in the capsule, right? And, and that's what small companies are having to do. They can't, inf they can't put that same level of investment in tooling that the big guys do. So automation looks a lot more um, interesting and <laughs> more creative, right? And automation can be as simple as scheduling a bunch of Jira tasks to remind you to, to you know, review privilege access, right? It, it can be that simple. It can be where I've seen people, um, I've seen clients use Duo, for example, to check the operating system on devices and it won't let people log in if the operating system is out of date. Uh, small automation, big impact, right, for a small organization. Um, using Okta to automate some of the um, turning off of privilege access, like if, if the HRS, HRIS, if somebody's terminated in there, mm -hmm. you know, they can leverage Okta to do some of, of that automation that is, it's very simplistic, but it takes some of the uncertainty out of that process. And that's really what it is about, is reducing that uncertainty. How often is that process done and is it done reliably, right? So for a small organization, automation looks a little bit different. You can also get subscriptions to something like Better Cloud or some of these automation um, platforms that will actually do en enable automation between different cloud services. So. Mm -hmm. I've seen clients or companies do that as well if they have a little more money to spend. So it really is about what is your budget? What tools are you using now? And what kind of an automation can they enable from what you're already using um, versus, you know, are you buying a tool to enable that automation? And for a small, for really small organization, buying that tool is probably not going to be an option. I think there are better options now with the, if you're a cloud native, uh, as so many newer companies mm -hmm. are, you know, they, they don't, I, I, I don't think any of my current clients, I'm serving about six clients right now, none of them have anything on-prem. So, right. I mean, uh, yeah, at, none of at them, this stage, right? if you're starting yeah. a business like three years ago, like why right. would you, right? Right, exactly. So, uh, and not only do none of them have anything on-prem, if they have an office, it's a token office, they're not, yeah 
right? You're not VPNing into the office and then connecting to your cloud service. Your your person's going straight from their home network to that cloud service. So probably on their home device, like they were right. Hired exactly, exactly. So so really, when if, from that perspective, depending on the business model, we may want to prioritize EDR and MDM as a tooling mm -hmm. versus you know some other kind of automation. Um, or I like that. Yeah, I, I like that alternative definition mm -hmm. of automation, which is to just mm -hmm. reduce the uncertainty in the process, right? Mm -hmm. Slow mm -hmm. is smooth and smooth is fast sort mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. idea. Exactly. Yeah, take the take really it's about there's and, and these are the two things that I will always say about automation, reduce human pain, right? If you're if your people people don't leave jobs, and I say this all the time, people don't leave jobs because they're interesting people leave jobs because they're doing the same stupid thing over and over again mm -hmm. so right. automate the stupid thing and it, and it there's lots of creative ways to automate that stupid thing usually right um and the other one is uh, automate you know remove that that uncertainty remove the the possibility for human error there and there's always or i won't say remove reduce right there's always going to be mm -hmm. some human error involved but if you can reduce relying on the human to make that process go you've already improved your process uh, overall right that's mm -hmm. good and then as your um as your clients are sort of working through the maturity model and they're sort mm -hmm. of and they're about to enter hyper growth mm -hmm. how are you advising them on kind of building out or thinking about you know, either security by design or, or a mm -hmm. more secure infrastructure, right? Because mm -hmm. when you get from 50 to 200, mm -hmm. you know, everything complexifies exponentially. So just right. curious as how you, you've done the gap analysis, you sort of worked mm -hmm. your way through those stages and this, how are you mm -hmm. like, sort of, you know, teach a man to fish sort of thing, like you right. know, build the infrastructure. Right. And that's, that's going to be fairly custom depending on what they're doing. So, and that's, mm -hmm. that's, our model assumes that there's about 80% of the things that are very common amongst all of our clients, which is again why we have that kind of ideal model client mm -hmm. right um, and, and we're only spending 20% of our time on that customization. So if I can bring to you three different tools that I know will solve a problem and, and the thing about fractional CISO is that we give as much back to the community as we can like the security maturity model, um, but we also we don't take referral fees or commissions so that when we're advising clients on those those tools you know we know that we don't have anything invested on which tool mm -hmm. they pick so i'm going to bring you any three tools i feel like will solve the problem and that i can live with as your vc so right. um, and what you pick is really going to be what fits best in your environment to your skill set and that kind of thing right so if, if you're if you're all in on aws great Let's look at AWS config and CloudTrail and you know, enabling the tools that are already available to you for maybe a little extra spend rather than going out and getting a new tool. I'm gonna to look at what you have now, if there's any security built in. And a lot of clients, for example, if they come to us, they're on either, of course, G Suite or, or O365. And the first one of the first things is, hey, let's up the level of G Suite or O365 so that we get those better security tools. Yeah. And that's a really simple, quick win, but it's also, you've made an economic decision at some point to, to take that lower tier. And now we're, we're still having to get yeah. you through that economic decision, but 
it's it's an easier it's an easier economic decision to say okay i'm going to buy the top tier G, G suite enterprise or whatever versus i'm going to go out and buy a solution that's going to label lay into that um here's what it costs you to you know yeah. up to g suite here's what that extra solution you'll want to go there one day but i i think this will get you what we need for now and that's a yeah. lot of it's a lot of not just security discussion it's just a lot of business how much how much do you have budgeted for this year how much can i get how how secure can i get you in that budget that you're giving me yeah. so it's a lot of yeah it's a lot of discussion yeah. <laughs> it's a lot on, of a, on, a, on a personal yeah. level so you mentioned mm -hmm. you're working with six clients do you have any mm -hmm. uh challenges kind of switching gears because if you're dealing with like different industries different size mm -hmm. teams it just seems like mm -hmm. a very different rubik's cube right <laughs> right <laughs> right and, yeah i, I and, you, and you're not only switching gears you're, you're switching gears from one meeting to the next immediate meeting and right. you don't necessarily have 15 minutes to do like a uh, quickly pull together yeah. what, you're, what you did last week or two days ago um and i've i've created cheat sheets <laughs> like i have a little like a, just a, a google sheet dashboard that gives me the highlights right yeah of, that's good everything yeah. for that client and i can click through very quickly to different um different documentation that I have for that client so that I can remember what I'm, I'm doing for them. And yeah, they're all different. They're all different. I don't have, of my six, I don't have any two that are, are the same. They're not using the same tools, their approach. I have one, one group that's very anti-VPN. Their policies, actually, their HR policies mm. state that you're not allowed to put a VPN on their, on their laptop even. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had not seen that before, right? And it, yeah, so there's there's a lot of trying to yeah figure out what's going on with each client and what culturally that they're willing to accept, right? Because tools are tribal. And yeah, yeah, people don't think about point. that, but it, they really are. And I, I had used to give a talk on this where I actually would put a suit of armor up from Japan and one from France. And I was like, okay, tell me which one the samurai wore, right? That, you know, it's the same era, it's both 1600s, mm -hmm. but you know, immediately from looking at those two suits of armor, which country they came from. Uh, and it's the same with the technical environment. Our, our tools have changed, but our our cultural and tribal affiliation with them has not. That's a, that's a, another <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, that's a really good slide. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I'm going to change gears a little bit sure. here as we uh, sort of come around the bend. Um, so we've talked with a lot of leaders on this podcast mm -hmm. about entering cybersecurity, what is mm -hmm. needed to diversify the field, what we do to mm -hmm. lower the barriers. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm curious to get your opinion on the other side, which is once we're in, once we mm -hmm. have our SOC mm -hmm. analysts, once we have mm -hmm. um, our poor IT director who is half mm -hmm. sysadmin, half <laughs> infosec mm -hmm. leader, mm -hmm. um, burnout, right? right and and right. so we've talked a little bit ahead of this podcast about your thoughts as to like mm -hmm. identifying toxic environments, mm -hmm. um, overwork. Just mm -hmm. curious to get your thoughts there because as, yeah. as important as it is to pull in the next generation of cybersecurity mm -hmm. leaders, it's also important. We don't get there if we don't retain them. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I, I think there's also that, uh, and and I'm hearing more and more people, and I'm glad to hear more and more people push back on the superhero mentality, mm -hmm. right? Because people will literally martyr themselves for their jobs. And I was mentoring a, a, a woman um, 
who it works for a university and she was working eight hour weeks. No. I said, stop it, stop it. Um, well, if I, if I don't work that 80 hours a week, things catch on fire. And I'm like, then let them. If that is the only way to convince your leadership that you need more resources, whether that's another body or tooling, then let it catch on fire. That, that's, that's your best option, right? Because if you burn out and you drop out of the field altogether, we, we lose so much. Um, but, and that's true across the board. Um, I give and a also talk, talk about human error. You get right? tired, you get right? fatigued. Exactly. You just you're going through these automate or this like yeah. sort of you're on, on autopilot. autopilot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that that does that increases human error. You're less productive if you're not sleeping well. It's there's a lot that goes into that. And my biggest advice to security people is stop killing yourself for your job mm -hmm. because your job's not killing themselves for you. If you are working more than 40 hours a week, more than, okay, well, let's say you really love your job. You don't mind working 45, 50 hours a week. Fine. But if you're creeping up into 55, 60, 80, 100, stop. Just stop. That you won't is, be any good, good to anyone. You're not good to anyone. You're not good to yourself, especially. Um, but mostly, if you are making if you are making that organization successful and you're not giving them a reason to, to invest in that tooling then you're not helping yourself either mm -hmm. right and you're not helping that that organization become more secure over time and i think that's probably a product or a byproduct mm -hmm. of this myth that we continue to try and dismantle that mm -hmm. cyber is like this really technical thing that only like mm -hmm. this elite group of mm -hmm. people understand or know how to do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then if we sort of internalize that myth right. then it's like i'm the only one with my hands on right. the controls right exactly and yeah i remember years and years ago interviewing for a program manager role with a, a large security group and their their ir person was bent out of shape because i had no ir background and I'm like, if you're a program manager, is your backup to your IR? That's there's something really screwed up there, right? And yes, uh, you know, number one, that's that was a massive level of gatekeeping. Like your program manager does not need to have an IR background, uh, and we run into that in tech and especially security so much is that if you don't have my background, you don't have my understanding of the situation, and therefore you can't possibly be good at what, what I need you to do. Yeah, it's also tribal. <laughs> yeah, and it comes back to that tribal piece. You weren't, you're not a part of my tribe. So I don't see how you can be successful in my tribe. Well, guess what? They're not going to be unless you make sure that they are. So it takes a fundamental mind shift of, of people who do have that skill set to be willing to set aside the time to train people and, and give them more context so that they can be more successful within your tribe. Yeah, it's interesting. I would pose that to the business leader like, Mm -hmm. Would you tolerate your, you know, number one salesperson operating at, you know, 50% productivity? No. Mm -hmm. Then why would you tolerate your InfoSec team, you know, getting right. super tired, burning themselves right. out? Right. And, you know, and I think um, you're seeing more and more organizations like uh, Arctic Wolf and Expel and those sort of, of things who are saying, okay, we know how to do security and we know how to build SOC, SOCs and, and we know how to train SOC analysts. Um, 
So you don't have to. So for those small and mid-sized organizations who mm -hmm. can afford those options, and, and they're very affordable, realistically, it's much more affordable for a mid-sized organization to leverage that. Um, that that's going to, I think we're going to really see the industry move more and more in that direction where you're, when you're, you've got those teams that it, like a VCSO, you know, I'm a sock for hire, I'm a CISO for hire. And yeah, SOC is service. Yeah, it's a, it's a somewhere between the gig economy and not, right? Um, we give the flexibility of, hey, we can take care of you right now, we can help you grow. Um, but if you outgrow us, we'll enable that too. Uh, and I think it's the right mindset to have for the security industry to have. That's great. That's mm -hmm. great. Yeah, I feel uh, this conversation has made me feel really optimistic. People are taking on security. <laughs> They're thinking of new ways to, mm -hmm. to do security mm -hmm. properly. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's really good. Well, and I mean, if you think about it, G Suite didn't exist 10, 15, 20 years mm -hmm. ago, right? And so there's so many more tools. You know, like Google is always going to do Microsoft even maybe <laughs> it's going to do my tribe is obviously Google. Um, yeah. you know, they're, they're always going to do security better than a five person team, uh, especially a five person team who has no exposure to security. So the more that we can bake security into the product, um, even if it's not a security product, um, yeah, that I think the better the world, the better off and the more we enable small businesses and mid-sized businesses, right? Because in the United States alone, there are 5.6 million businesses with less than 500 employees. Okay. There are only a thousand fortune 1000 companies, right? So, right. yeah. And, and that's the, that's the iceberg <laughs> below the surface. Exactly. Sure. So if you think about that, you know, historically we're focused on military government, those fortune 1000, maybe another 50 to 100,000 enterprise businesses, and there's 5.6 million businesses out here that you could be serving. Um, you're not gonna make that big margin, but you, if you, you make the money on the volume, right? And that's what Google figured out with G Suite, and that's what Microsoft figured out with O365. And eventually, I think security vendors are going to figure it out as well. Sure. Mm -hmm. Great. Well. Carlota, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate how busy you are, how many clients you're serving. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Anytime I get to talk to you is a fantastic time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's it for First Watch today. A big thanks to our special guest, Carlota Sage. First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber. It's produced by Chloe LeClaire with help from Phil Totora, edited by David Traunstein, with original music by Matthias Zaffaletti. Subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay safe, stay strong.